So, hi, Peyton. Um, we have a program called Lifecycle Extension where we try to actually gather uh, many of the best practices that, that uh, are centered around running vertical market software companies. And I think one of the challenges is uh, actually making sense of the many challenges on the technical side that are happening. Uh, beyond diversification of the job skills from DevOps to UI, UX, and so on, it's also the multitude of new frameworks that can be quite difficult to master uh, for a company that's focused on a vertical market and a product and the customers. Um, and I know you, you, you kind of managed to, to get let go of some of, the, uh, of your products. So others take care of, of the technical part of it. So you're focused on the customers. Can you explain your vision behind that? Yeah, uh, being in the vertical market space for as long as we have, we have over 20 years in this particular market with all that development time. And back in the early days, you were able to have a developer really be able to do everything, right? You had a small staff they could know all the technology stack, top to bottom. Um, but as you know now, it's nearly impossible to have anybody have that much knowledge. Um, DevOps is its own thing. That, you know, in, in the old days, it was the same developer that was doing code, wrote your installer, pushed software out, and now everything's become specialized. And I just felt that it's impossible to run your business while you're learning all these new technologies. You've almost got to take time out to go right. do the new stuff, right? And so that's why we were looking for a partner that could take over the, the cutting edge technology stack portions that we just have no experience with and um, take over really the project. And we're just there to do the domain knowledge support that we have all the years of experience with. Weren't you afraid that somehow uh, it will put you in risk of, I don't know, managing your product in case you outsource basically all the technical part? Yeah, I mean, there, there is a certain amount of potential risk there, but I think that has to be mitigated by the partner you choose. It really, the, the ones that I've seen go bad are where you don't really choose the right partner and you don't go all in, you kind of he uh, hedge your bet a little bit, right? And so you try and keep some of the technology in-house rather than going all of it out. Um, and I don't think those situations really ever are successful. Um, I've, seen I've seen plenty fail with other companies and we didn't want to make that same mistake. Do you make any difference between, for instance, core products or maybe niche products or maybe new initiatives uh, in which you would kind of? Yeah, there there's some differences. The first things that we reached out on were actually uh, new uh, products. So we had uh, an add-on to our existing product that was a mobile app that we needed developed. Um, and then second was a new initiative, brand new product complete greenfield, no, no backwards compatibility to deal with. And so those were our first two trials and that gave us a bunch of knowledge of 
what's the best way to work with an outside partner? What's the give and take? You know, how, what's the regular cadence of meetings to keep the, everything yeah. flowing? And then also how much time, I think the one thing that we underestimated was how much time we needed to spend up front on domain transfer. Right. Um, because you can't produce good software if you don't truly understand the use cases and, and the domain that it's going to run in. Do you have any kind of recommendations in, in handling that? For well, I think what you kind of have to think about is, because sometimes I think we forget how much we do know about the right. industry. And so it's almost like, pretend you're talking to, trying to explain the business to a, a child, right? It's like, if you're, if you're going to that level, you're going to remember the little things that you wouldn't, if you're you know, talking to somebody in the industry, there's, there's some shared knowledge, right? And so by thinking about it that way, it forces you to, to think of all the little intermediate things that you would totally forget to mention. Um, and then you can lay out a plan to say, okay, he, it, here's what the industry is. Here's how a worker that we're designing this app for actually goes about their job. And if you did, that seemed to be the one that really worked was describe the daily job that this person does. Right. And then, and then all the little questions will come up. Well, why do they do that? And then that takes you down one tangent and, and you go down another one. And then you build this knowledge base. And then once that happens, then the designs and everything starts rolling. Because in, in many regards, the technology part is the easier part. It's writing software that actually meets the needs yeah. is the hard part. Right. So from this perspective, do you think that certain skills uh, in uh, the team set that you're working with, with uh, become very important, for instance? Because I would imagine uh, like not being able to have a full handle over the technology uh, will make you think only in terms of, okay, use cases and so on. So basically, you're not entirely certain how the other partner will envision the product. Of course, you can end up working on prototypes and, and UX yeah. and so on. So you can have kind of an iterations and, and grow that. But I would imagine that it's a different process if you are not tied into the technology side as if you're fully focused on, 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 uh, on technology and you're also thinking in terms of solutions and so on. Right. Yeah, I actually think in some ways the designs that we've come up with are better than the ones we would have done if we'd been doing it ourselves as the full stack, right? Because we're not so focused on thinking about, I'm, I'm laying some UX out, but I'm also in the back of my head thinking about how does that wire up on the technology side, right? Well, for us, that's a, in, in this scenario, it's almost like a black box. I don't care what's back there. so it really allows us to spend more time on the design and making sure that we're um, coming up with a product that meets the end user's needs. Right. So from, from this perspective, I think you're kind of ahead of the, the pack in the sense that you're already focused only on customers and on business. This added focus, did it, it enabled you to do something else? I know you're actually expanding to, to kind of new markets or segments. Right. Um, the, in our vertical, we, 
have a lot of consolidation. And so all of our customers are going into new lines of business. And so we're basically trying to follow where they're going. And so we need new apps for different things that never would have come up before. And we also now have uh, started a modernization project. So it's not all greenfield development. So we've got that new project going. And that's a, a different model because now we're again, it, we don't worry about so much the technology, but we're focused on making sure that the new front end and modernization makes it so much easier to use the software. Well, you, you're mentioning that you're not focused that much on technology, but actually this is the second or third hackathon. You're yeah. actually present here. And if I remember correctly, all the time there were quite some technology innovations that you were working on. Yeah, um, we've done uh, an image processing uh, app where it will identify objects and then come up with an inventory uh, of what's in, in the apartment or house. Um, we did another um, AI project with a chatbot. So an end user could send a text message in and say, you know, where's my stuff or, or uh, you know, what's my bill this month? And it would automatically come back with the answers. So you're right, we, it, it, it's like we kind of transitioned. We're, we're not a day-to-day technology company and we're not in the you know the tr trenches slugging it yeah. out but it allows us to think more of the big picture and can see these little side projects that maybe are going to be a big win for our customers and drive revenue for our company from, from this perspective do you think that uh, the the major driver at least for your uh, situation is it competition or is the ability to to do new things that would enable your customers to actually get things easier done or yeah i think i think there's a mix in that regard because always you have to keep an eye on the competition to know what they're doing and if they have some new whiz bang thing you've got to try and you know account for that with your software um, but i tend to not worry about the competition i think as much as other companies that i've dealt with in the past i I basically work under the assumption that if we do our job well, the customers are going to stay with us and we're going to get new customers. Right. So if we are getting back to the to the subject of having the responsibility split, you focusing on customers and domain and letting somebody else focus on the technology side, what would be the ideal uh, technology supplier for you? one that understands the now technology, but also has a decent grasp of what's potentially coming in the future. Because you might be an expert in now, but you might do something in a way that's gonna hamper you 18 months down the road when some new technology comes into play. And so from the tech side, that's what I look at. The other side is just how well we can communicate and how, and just the interactions between the teams. Um, I think one of the things we've done well and, and have had good success with is bringing a mix of people together because it's not just one project manager who's always talking to the team on this side. We'll bring in domain experts, maybe from support or from sales and have a mix on our side to say, 
you know, here's the problems we're having. Like in, on the modernization project, we took a look at, okay, here's our product now. The back-end business logic isn't really going to change or swap out, but what causes people pain points here? And then work together to try and come up with a design that says, oh, this is going to be way easier to use, but still have all this complex functionality that we've built out through all these years. So I think it's just the communication and then having a real understanding of the technology, but even kind of a crystal ball a little bit to say what's coming in the future. Looking at your customers, do you think they really care about, for instance, technology innovations, or they are care more important for them is to be able to enable them to do things in a more effective way? Yeah, like you know, that one's always been a weird one for me because through the years, I've been around long enough to have gone through several modernization projects, right? And so, you know, back in the old DOS days, now Windows and so on, right? So your product has gone through several iterations and different technology. And there's always been certain customers that cared about the technology, you know, you know but it's almost like, I, sometimes I feel like it's just to check a box on their, right. on their list. They don't really care, but they have to ask that question because it's on their list, right? But for the most part, people don't care what's behind the screen. They just want the software to do the job and be easy to use. Right. Also, I think in your field, there is quite a cross-section of ages in your users. Yeah. Uh, do you see uh, something like an, an, an age as a differentiator in adoption of new technologies? Yeah, we, we have seen that, especially in certain departments, um, like the dispatch department in, in a, a company seems to be the least adoptive of anything we bring out. And those, that department also tends to skew a little older because that's a real important role in the company. And so it's not the young whippersnapper kid that they put in there, right? It's a seasoned person and that seems to be an adoption problem. Um, what we have always try and push and when we have the best implementations of our software is when there's truly somebody at a high level in the company who takes ownership of it and can encourage everybody to adopt. When we have problems, it is when there's nobody in that role. And so this department decides, oh, I don't want to use this you know, thing. I'm just going to ignore it. And that kills the engagement because when you get all the departments working together, that's the whole advantage of having uh, an enterprise software like we create. So how do you approach uh, an, such an engagement in, in a company? How do you make sure that they will commit to a such, uh, in, in such a measure that basically will guarantee the success of the... Yeah, it, it, that's, that's a real hard one, and we struggle with it still to this day. What we try and do, I think where it falls down sometimes is the buying decision is sometimes separated from the people that are going to have to implement it. And so the ownership says, oh, I need new software. I want the latest, greatest thing. It's going to help my team. But then the people who actually have to do the work weren't engaged during the um, process. And so it just gets dumped on their lap and now they've got to do the implementation. So we encourage during the sales cycle very much to get the right people into the sales cycle, even if they can't ultimately pull the trigger, 
get them involved so that there's buy-in right. at that point. Then the implementation later becomes a lot easier. Right. Yeah. Also, so considering that you had a, a new initiative mobile application, uh, many times the expectation is that, well, if I have a new mobile application, customers will just jump on it and will take it away. How did you engage with the customers? So you made sure that by the time the application is ready, uh, they are also prepared to, to take it because otherwise I think there is kind of a dead period. Yeah. Yeah. There, and we had the unfortunate, we, our customers actually have a busy season. And so during the summer months, they really don't buy anything from us, deal with us from uh, implementing any new features. So when our app came out, we hit right at the beginning of busy season. And so we unfortunately had like a three month dead period where we weren't gonna sell it. But what we tried to do and did a lot of was as soon as we had wireframes, it's like, and with the Envision product having, way beyond wireframes, it's almost like yeah, clickable, a clickable prototype, prototype yeah. right? And so we could go to customers and say, okay, pretend you're really out there, go through this thing, or does it feel right? And so we made some adjustments along the way. And, and to be honest, like any software project, there were things that we missed. And later in, in the re you know, retrospective, we get it in the field and then they're like, uh, you know, you have some of those knock on, yeah. you know, moments like how did we forget we needed this one thing? but you can never have perfect software. Software is never done. Right. But having a prototype and, and going in front of your customers just as early, just as agile and, yeah. and, and all the, the lean methodologies kind of uh, recommend does help you improve that yeah. prior to getting to... Yeah, it helps before you've ever got any code. You get a much better product to start with. And it shows the other way that it's kind of used. It's like we could talk all day long about oh, we're gonna have a mobile app in four months or three months or whatever it is, but we can get in front of the customer with these um, mock-ups and show them, look, we're really doing this stuff. Here's what it's gonna be. And then later they see that we performed on the design, then that gives us even more credibility the next time we go, okay, four months from now, we're gonna have this new thing. And now we have this um, belief that, yeah, you're really gonna come out with it and it's really gonna be there. Did you engage with the customers uh, constantly going on the field or use special events like customer uh, uh, events to, to showcase the application? Yeah, we did a little bit of both. There's, there's some key clients that we have. And so any major initiative like this, we're going to run it by and get their input. We also had a user conference where we talked about here's what you know here's like the coming years worth of stuff we showed some of the mock-ups there and got some good feedback and also it, it, in a way it lets us you know measure how much adoption there might be because what we're building we're add-on products right which means there's an increased cost to the clients and if they come back and say oh that's nice but i'm never paying for it that gives you yeah. a, a much better feel before you really get into the the real hard uh, development cycle. What do you think will be the kind of major challenges for vertical market software companies in the upcoming five, 10 years? Well, the, the big thing we've seen and I worry about is one, 
you're a vertical market software, so you're tied to your vertical market. And so if it's anything at all related to uh, financial markets, you know, there's all kinds of variables that could really hamper your particular, you know, your clients. And so there could be a three year period where you aren't selling anything because they're just hanging on themselves. So that I worry about. The other thing I worry about is it seems like the venture capital field just thinks that there's magic money to be made in vertical market software. And so they'll throw money at, at a startup, you know, blow through a lot of money, but then they end up with a, you know, pretty snazzy looking product that starts stealing customers, maybe your low ones at the beginning. But if they can hang on long enough, they could turn out to be a real um, threat it, long term. Uh, talking to about about startups, uh, do you think that that or do you see any patterns in which actually a niche product, something that's maybe not core to your domain, uh, enters the market and just slowly chips away from your potential? Do you see any kind of disruption pattern like this? Or yeah, we actually one of our now largest competitors started out that way. They were a kind of a add-on ancillary product to our market and then slowly over time kept throwing in more features and moving more into our space. And so I think we made a mistake with them early on, honestly, looking at not paying enough attention to them because we always just kind of said, well, they're over here doing their thing. It doesn't really interfere with our stuff. So I think that's something to be aware of is that those guys that are, maybe they don't directly compete with you now, but if they're selling to the same customers, there's always a potential that things can change down the road. And basically your strategy of developing products or, or something is affected by this potential threat? It, it, it is because you have to um, be aware of them and in, in this case, actually, this competitor that I'm speaking of, our decision to go into a different market was actually to directly attack back in a sense. So we're going after a vertical that was their specialty before okay. and stealing some of their customers back. Okay. So yeah, it can affect your strategy. Um, and we're lucky to be in a position where financially we were able to invest in the new initiative to go after that market where maybe, you know, not all vertical market companies are. Now, after talking to you, I kind of understand your decision to kind of let the technology side to somebody else, because it seems like there's quite a lot of struggle just to understand where your vertical is, uh, is going and right. what's happening in it. So I think keeping, trying to keep a focus and also trying to kind of predict where and what will happen in the following years takes a lot of energy. Yeah, it does. And we spend, our, our big thing is also is customer retention because it's a large enterprise product. So we don't sell a ton of accounts every year. So we need to really focus on supporting our clients and giving them the best service that we possibly can so that we keep our um, retention as high as possible. I mean, our, we try every year, you know, every, you always have attrition but we try and keep it around 3% a year is our goal. And in utilities, we actually been involved recently in a company in CSI that actually most of the companies, because that 
third party add-on product mm -hmm. has such a good money uh, scheme. So it just was worth it for the others. They also made a lot of money on it. So they are actually not thinking about investing in something that actually would compete with their product. Yeah. But the truth is that in time, they slowly will start shipping customers away. And we saw that in Europe with a couple of companies in the healthcare. Yeah. And we saw that happening in some other places. And it's, it's, it's when you see patterns like this happening, it's right. like, wow, look, because it's going it, on. It's, it's going happening. on, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, and we totally missed, dropped the ball on it. We just didn't, didn't do it, but we were lucky to have recognized it at a certain point and, and were financially able to go after them. Actually, I would have an additional question because I know that you bought some products. Yeah. Uh, and part of the life cycle extension, basically we have like four quadrants. If your product uh, is kind of, um, doesn't have any challenges from a cost perspective. So technology wise, it's okay. It doesn't have any problems. And it, it does, is a market differentiator. Then basically the idea is do nothing. But if you're kind of in a, market in which it's commodized already mm -hmm. and your product is not really answering anymore the business challenge many times it seems that it's more logical to just buy a product instead of trying to renovate or invest into one yeah so because i know that you bought uh, some, some product was that part of the thing that was exactly part of the thinking because the the product that we bought was the same market the core market that our competitor started in. And so we, we always interfaced with them into our software, but now we're going, okay, we want this piece. We want to directly go against those guys to cover. So now we can go in with a full solution uh, on the customer experience on the front end that we didn't have before, where before we'd say, okay, we have most of it, but if you need this one, add-on, now you've got to go to somebody else. And so now we can go with the whole story and it, it makes the sale much easier and it keeps them from shopping around. Because the more they can single source, yeah. the stickier we become with the customer and that's what we want. One, one challenging question is uh, in trying to find out what are not only the trends, but also how politics, rule, and regulations can impact uh, your domain? Yeah, so I spend a lot of time reading and trying to follow what's going on in the industry, whether it's new regulations that are affecting um, the industry or uh, it could be financial that affects it. So when I see something, I think, okay, this is gonna hurt some of our customers. The first thing I try and do is what part of their business is that going to affect? Maybe it is. Maybe it doesn't affect the whole business, but maybe it affects one of their segments. And so that's where we've looked at some of these related, but not strictly in our traditional core vertical. So we've gone sideways a little bit into related verticals, trying to hedge our bet so that if this goes down, we've got somewhere else to go because we see those businesses going these same ways because at the end of the day we're in moving vertical so they've got trucks and they have people so what other things can they do with those assets to make money and so that's where we go 
is traditional household goods moving is going down. People don't move as much as they used to. And the weight of individual shipments is lower than it used to be. So it's become harder and harder for these guys to make money. And so they've shifted. Now they're doing more office moving, which is still moving, but it's a completely different set of requirements. So we wrote a, a whole new module. We did that project about three years ago, wrote a whole new module strictly um, for office and industrial moving. And so we've had great uptake on that because that's where these guys are going. Um, our warehousing project came out of that. It's like, okay, they're doing distribution jobs. They're doing um, like hotel rollouts, things like that. So they've, they've got all these different lines of businesses that they're doing and so that's where we try and build software. Um, do you have some favorite customers, something like early adopters that are always feeling the trends? Yeah, and so, yeah, we have, um, we do have a set of core customers that we kind of rely on to say, you know, here, here's, maybe you should be going this way, or here's what we're seeing over here. And we spend, I think we have, I think we meet with them every three months. Um, we'll do a, a conference call as a group and, and just, you know, we show, here's the, here's the recent stuff we've been doing, here's what we're thinking about doing, and then we get feedback and say, okay, it, are we on the right path, or, you know? It, it seems that there is a lot of trust in this type of relationship. How you cultivate that trust? Yeah, it takes time um, because it, a new customer isn't going to, just like everybody else, they're not going to get on the line and share. The one thing about our industry, our vertical, is that pretty much all these guys know everybody else. It's it's kind of a very family, uh, not not real family, but almost yeah. like a, a family uh, environment where they all know each other. They know what everybody's doing. And, and so there's not as much of a reluctancy to share little bits of information, particularly because they're in a lot of cases, they're distributed geographically, right? right. So it doesn't matter if this guy steals your idea because he's on the other side of the country and it isn't going to affect me. So yeah, so we do have a core set of customers that are willing to work together to push us along um, with the software. And they, it tends to be ones that have been around for a few years. They know, you know, if we say we're, we are gonna have this release at the X date, we always meet that and uh, then they build up trust. We also um, get input just more generally speaking. So we have user forums, we have uh, a user voice suggestion stuff and people are always voting on what they want the you know new features to be or, or and everybody's invited or? everybody who's a yeah all customers and and not just all customers all employees of all the customers are invited to join the forum and can put in ideas and then we decided we made a decision that every person who's a member of the forum can have five votes and so you you want things done you pick your top five and then we look at that, obviously we have a roadmap of things we wanna do, but we also look at that and say, okay, this one's kind of floated to the top, let's grab that one and do it. And so then we change the status on the forum to it's now in development, 
Okay. So, so they get the feedback that says, oh, we're actually paying attention to the board. And then once it's done, if you voted for that, your vote becomes free again, and now you can move it. Nice. Yeah, so it, it's actually worked out really well. And I'm wondering in what way would a, a manager or a financially driven operations guy be able to kind of steer a company without actually having that in-depth knowledge of the customer base of the, I mean, for you to, to create a roadmap of the product for the next year, probably wouldn't be a problem. Right. You know exactly how, who your customers are and, and so on. But I, I can't figure an operations guy or a financial driven guy who has nothing, no knowledge of, of the domain, how, is, how would ever be able to to lead or steer a company, yeah, it, it a would vertical be, market company. Yeah, it would be really hard. I, I came from the dev side, so I spent years as a developer, and but you pick up all the domain knowledge and spent a lot of time at customer sites, dealing you know directly with the customers to learn. Okay, this is what they're doing. So that having that knowledge, you're right. Now that I'm running the business, I struggle with the financial side, but right. I, I think that's the easier one to figure out. Um, I've got a good handle on the domain and I have a good handle on the dev process. And so figuring out the balance sheet's not that difficult, right? Yeah. Of course, every accountant who might see this is going to be mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know. But I think staying close to the customer, creating that trust and bond, bond because I, I would imagine the fact that they have a saying in the roadmap of your product, knowing that their voice matters, and actually knowing that each individual's voice matters, I think creates a kind of special relationship. Uh, yeah, I think, I think it really helps. And, and again, it, we use that phrase sticky, but it makes changing software a really daunting thing. Even if there's another product that was feature complete, you know, maybe it's cheaper, but does almost as good a job, whatever. It's one extra thing they're going to think about. It's like, I know these guys and I know that they do a good job. Maybe I'm going to save a little money, but I don't know for sure what I'm going to. It's like the grass is always greener on the other side, right? right? Well, sometimes it isn't, but you just don't know. And so that any, any doubt that by doing these things and, and engaging the customers, it makes them less yeah. likely to leave. Thank you very much, Peyton. Thank you.